This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. What happens when regular people work together to create massive, meaningful change on a global scale? Welcome to the Carbon Almanac Collective, a podcast where the volunteers who created the Carbon Almanac share the insights and aha moments they had while collaborating on this landmark project to help fight the climate crisis. I'm your host, Jennifer Myers Chua, and it's not too late to join in on the conversation. Hi, my name is Christy Shero. I'm from Detroit, Michigan, and I have been mainly contributing writing and editing and primarily been living within the kids content, which I'm really grateful to be a part of. My name is Bruce Clark. I am from Bloomington, Illinois, and my involvement in the Carbon Almanac has been with the area of infographics and helping be a voice in the data visualization side of things. That's how I met you, Jennifer. And then I've been shifted into the Kids Carbon Almanac and joining that that conversation as well. Hi, my name is Catherine Palmer. I live in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And my involvement with the Almanac so far has also mainly been editing and writing. I'm editing the Daily Difference newsletter email and also the kids book and working on the social media side of the kids. Why did you join the Carbon Almanac Project? I was introduced to Seth Godin by someone actually from the Detroit area that met me as I was a part of a team and identified me as the linchpin. And I was like, what's a linchpin? He's like, have you read <laughs> Seth Godin's book, Linchpin? It's like, no. And so he explained it to me. I checked it out from the local library and have been basically following his words ever since. And so when I um, identified the blog that was inviting people to just give their information into this, this project, I'm like, man, why not? You know, an opportunity to work with this guy because I've been yeah. very impressed by him. So there were a few different reasons for me. I think that very similar to Bruce, one of the top reasons I wanted to join was to learn from Seth. I had heard him speak at some of my favorite marketing conferences and read some of his work and just always looked up to him as a thought leader and was so excited about the potential to maybe learn from him. And then the other thing is I'm very, very passionate about writing and content and marketing and I've sort of been on this journey of trying to figure out different ways that each of those can be used as tools for impact. And this seemed like a really exciting opportunity within that too, to take a next step within that journey. When I got the email to sign up, it was kind of like my gut telling me like I need to do this. I, I wasn't certain at first when I clicked whether I would stay or not, but something in me said that I needed to to stick with this and see where it went. And I'm very thankful that I did. It's been an amazing journey yeah. so far. I came in when uh, the book was already written. So I came in in February. But I mean, the work still to do is is uh, not nearly finished yet. So I feel like I came in at a good time. Have you learned anything on this project that was really surprising? Like maybe you have looked into the climate crisis before or explored this area a little bit. But was there anything that you found out during your time here that really changed the way you see the world? For me, it's been 
that my philosophy has changed from what I can do to what we can do. So I've always been a recycler and a vegetarian and I've never uh, promoted that or, or put my views on other people. But now I can see how being a part of a big group uh, that all has the same philosophy can move us forward as opposed to me just being by myself. Now we're all of us as one big voice. And I think the group, the Carbon Almanac Network's really promoting a shift from individual action to collective action. And th- I'm really excited about it. I'm, I'm excited I found this and that I can, you know, I, I feel like I've evolved in that way. Christy, how about you? Anything surprising? There's been a lot surprising for me, to be honest. I didn't come into this with a ton of knowledge on climate change. And it was actually something I felt self-conscious about in the beginning. I remember being on our onboarding call and one of the hosts asking another newbie what they were most passionate about on the topic. And they gave some wonderful answer. And I was sitting there thinking, please don't ask me, (laughs) please don't ask me because I just didn't even feel informed enough to give a good response. It wasn't that I didn't care before I did. And I tried to do my best with the things that I thought mattered, like recycling, I just didn't have this like depth of knowledge and I'd never gone out seeking it. And that has changed a lot since being on the project. I think one of the biggest things is that after reading the almanac, I have this sense of urgency around this that I never felt before or knew that I needed. And it has been honestly life-changing. Yeah. I'm really excited, Christy, to hear your process as, as this has been an eye-opening, illuminating thing for you. I was introduced to sustainability, you know, in, in a much more comprehensive, pretty intentional and intensive way back when I went to school for architecture back in 2005, 2006. And a lot of the projects were really driven by uh, sustainable practices and thinking about utilizing our natural resources in the practice of architecture. So it's not just all, you know, technology stuff, but how do we take advantage of prevailing winds and the angle of the sun? And doing more with less and insulation and building materials and all that kind of stuff. There's a sense of like, okay, once I can become an architect, I can do that. But architecture was always elusive for me. Um, and I, I always tuned into people talking about these things. Like I was all in with um, An Inconvenient Truth. I was all in with um, this book that came out by a guy named William McDonough called Cradle to Cradle. Thinking about um, our manufacturing processes, always having built within them. How will it be reused or completely absorbed back into the ecosystem? So like there's a level of information that I knew I had stepping into the carbon almanac, but I know that in my own capacity, it's very limited. As I've sort of sat back and watched this entire conversation evolve, because there's levels of engagement and I think you can really be pigeonholed within a specific area. But if you just kind of look back at the level of what's happening Everything that Seth has been teaching in all of his books, in all of his workshops, in all of his presentations, this project is in many ways the culmination of what he's been preaching. It's the practice of it. I mean, how do you build a tribe? Uh, How do you get buy-in? The power of when you volunteer for something, that passion carries you through, you know, so many of those things. And then having a very non-structural structure that the needs and the demands of the thing cause people to rise up 
and to assume positions of leadership. And I think as a result, you do give your best work. And it's an incredible, empowering dynamic that I hope this isn't the only thing that Seth ever does, although this is a pretty fantastic magnum opus for an individual's um, efforts. So for me, beyond the Carbon Almanac, recognizing that it's a tool, I think in some ways the, the more impressive work isn't what we've produced um, as, a, as an artifact, but what we've produced as far as a community and a culture that's activated in a way that I don't think any of us ever could have been before. And that collective, we've come together from all areas of the globe, Yeah, people with degrees in climate science, people who have absolutely no knowledge of the climate crisis at all, but they're a fan of Seth's or people who have been invited in by their friends, yeah. stuff like that. And I think that the relationships that we've formed here are going to lead us through other areas of our lives too. And I'm just wondering if there's anyone that you've met here that you feel like you've solidified a relationship with that you might be mobilizing together to create climate action outside of this project. Anyone? I love the idea of it. I mean, there are a lot of absolutely wonderful, brilliant people on this project. Similar to Catherine, I feel like I joined a little later at the tail end of the book. So I feel like I'm still developing relationships, but I've been really part of the reason that I've been so grateful to work on this is truly because of the people that I'm getting yeah. to work with mm -hmm. and learn from. Yeah. I think relationship that, that emerges from this project seems to really be embodied in the essence of intensively working together for a duration. I haven't been there throughout the entire thing yet. Just yesterday, I was blown away by the fact that Seth mentioned me in his blog. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> the tingles, man. That was just wonderful. Uh, I was like, I didn't realize that that contribution of what I considered like it's small in the grand scheme. And yet it resonated at a deep level. And sometimes those types of things can carry over. So I'm excited to see positive uh, relationships grow out of this. I'm definitely keeping my eyes and ears open for, oh, hey, you're a fellow almanacker, you know, <laughs> that we had some sort of special call sign or handshake or something like that. <laughs> when I did get the blog yesterday delivered into my inbox, I did give you a little virtual high five. So congratulations, awesome. Bruce. Yeah, thank you. And what Seth was talking about in that blog post was the kids guide yeah. and all of the work that the kids team has done has just been so inspiring to me. And as a mother with a child who's, she likes to call herself the kid art director. Paige mm. has been nice enough to give her that title. I don't know how much she really contributed. What kind of impact do you think the kids guide is going to have in the immediate term? And what kind of impact do you think you might have created in the long term when it comes to kids and parents in that conversation? I think that climate anxiety and, and the anxiety kids have around climate change, just listening to my nephew and his nine-year-old friends talk about what kind of world are we even going to have and having them have a resource with some answers, with the straight facts, you know, this isn't an adult trying to sugarcoat anything or trying to sweep it under the rug or tell you, pat you on the head and tell you everything's okay. This is a book that gives it to you straight. This, this is what's happening. Uh, these are things that you can do as a kid. One big thing, teach your adults because adults don't know everything. And I love that the book empowers kids to actually feel like they can have uh, a chance to uh, be powerful here. They are the ones that are going to own the future. It's theirs. And 
they're the ones that I, I think are going to solve, solve this problem for us. So we are giving them something to work with now. And, and I, I know like just looking at some of the, the kids who have made some big strides, like Greta Thunberg is one that always comes to mind, but there are, there are so many others. Um, Autumn Peltier here in Canada, who has from a very young age stood up to adults for not doing everything that we should have done. These kids are going to, going to own this in the future and, and having a resource to get them started, I think is just power. Absolutely. Catherine, you said something that is resonating deeply with me, and that's the word imagine. Because of all of these, you call them like activation words, like, oh, crisis or emergency or all this horrible stuff. It squelches the natural tendency of kids to imagine things beyond the present. Like, uh, I've got three children of my own, five to 10, and they're all uh, significant contributors to my motivation to even take the step to be a part of the project to say, hey, guys, you know, uh, your dad did a little something here and I, I did it with you in mind with every single step that I took so that they recognize, hey, you also have agency. It starts from a place of imagination. And I think that the, the children's guide as far as short and long-term impact is that it doesn't sugarcoat, but it, it really is a tool of empowerment to not only inform, but also kind of poke a little bit and prod and say, hey, the adults need to hear from you in giving you license and permission to take that place that you may not always know how to take. And so I think that place of agency is, is incredibly powerful. And to give them a name like the carbon generation um, in that way, I think can be a banner and a rallying cry and a source of identity that can, can really drive them into imagining a better future for all of us. I love everything that was just said. We worked so hard on this content and We've really worked from the start to try to empower the kids who read this content. And I think that's our greatest hope is that that it does. What about the whole imagination piece? You're an incredibly imaginative person. When I've been reading your scripts and the contributions you've been making, I feel like you can visualize a better world, right? And how do you think that the work that you're doing on the kids podcast on top of the kids guide is helping make that happen. Gosh, well, thank you for saying that. My greatest hope in the work that we're doing right now is that it empowers the kids who are receiving that content, whether it's the kids reading the ebook or listening to the podcast. Catherine, you talked about eco anxiety. I know that even me as an adult, I felt that. And especially after becoming more informed on this project and the thing that helps me to feel better is knowing that I'm taking the actions that I can and trying in the way that I can. And I hope that that's helpful for the kids as well, because there are a lot of ways that we are trying to offer to them that they can understand that they can help and they do have a voice. And I, I just hope that it's helpful and empowering and inspiring for them. And Bruce, I'd love to hear a little bit more from you about the story of coming up with Generation Carbon or Generation <laughs> C, we've been calling it. Where did that idea yeah. come from and how did Generation Carbon come to be? There was a, a call, I think Paige um, had put out a call to say, hey, let's come up with a name for this rather than the kids version of the Carbon Almanac. That's, that's kind of clunky. Yeah. And so one morning I'm like, okay, let me just sit down and see what I come up with. And 
So I was noodling around with a bunch of different alliterative pieces. One I was really hoping for would be the Green Guardians Guide. Um, but uh, my kids liked it. And, 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 and I liked how they, they, they pulled some of our kids. I know Jennifer, your daughter, was involved in some of that. I made sure that I read the whole list down to all of my kids and got their feedback too. And what was interesting is one person, I think, I can't remember who, had made a comment about, I'm not so sure about Generation Carbon. And so then I explained why I felt that was an interesting and maybe compelling one, at least to consider. And I hadn't even thought like, I'm going to really champion this, but left it out there with an understanding that whether you like it or not, the next generation, because of how close we are to the tipping point, they are going to be affected and confronted by a new reality that we ourselves are not willing to fully own. And so I continue in my own place of, of talking with my kids very openly about the realities of what's ahead of us. I'm also understanding that there's, there's kind of a dual uh, motivation where on one hand, we want to stop it before it happens. But on the other hand, we also want to do everything we can to build a more resilient community so that if and when things happen and things move in a direction that may not be advantageous to our, our ideal survival on the planet, ideal conditions, that we can have enough resilience within our community to adapt and, and to move on with whatever we encounter. So that generation and, and subsequent generations, I think, are going to be marked significantly by that. And I, I loved how when Seth was identifying Generation C, that uh, the whole COVID thing, I hadn't thought about that before. Like your entire way of experiencing schooling is disrupted significantly. My son just had a band concert and the band director said that the last time that we were able to gather as a band was when the seniors were in eighth grade. Now imagine like your entire high school experience disrupted like that to such a high degree. Um, that's your identity so much when you're a kid. And so when those things percolate and, and, and grow, you, you start to realize, man, this is really profound. And I think people need something that they can rally around and find common identity with, just like we did in identifying ourselves by that wonderful little symbol, the atomic graphic of, of carbon. You need a compelling motivation and a compelling reason for people uh, to give of themselves sacrificially towards a cause. And what better cause than um, any and every effort that we can give towards the preservation of our planet? When we hear the comment made that children are resilient, I feel like that is not really saying enough. We can see COVID as the C that is more impactful in this very moment. Mm -hmm. Our kids have had a lot to deal with, and they're going to continue to have a lot to deal with. And I think that it's important to note that the C, when we're talking about Generation C, is carbon and climate and COVID, but it's also compassion mm -hmm. and all of these other words that we've come up with to explain this new generation. Yeah, he was even in his blog, he was saying connection. He was saying cohort. He was saying courage. He was saying change. All of those things, I think, can really roll into it in a very impactful way. Jennifer, you mentioned just how many countries are represented by this singular effort. And that just continues to astound me. The level of connectedness is also incredibly encouraging, knowing that the work was ongoing and so many different hands because of uh, the ubiquitous nature of, of the technology that we've been given, that we can all contribute in our own ways through a common platform that we all have access to. I think that's such a tremendous 
tool that's used in all the right ways when those same tools and in, 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 in unfortunate circumstances are being used to create more division and separation. This is a tool that's really enhancing the connectedness and our capacity to, to really deliver something that's amazing. Like I've never ever heard of a book that was crowdsourced in the way that, that what we're producing is, is so that's just to say, yeah, I was a part of that awesome thing. That's, that's so cool. So crowdsource, collective, commitment. Yes. This episode is brought to you by the letter C. <laughs> I'd love to hear which one of those C's you've resonated with the most throughout this project and which one of those is the most impactful to you. It doesn't have to be climate. Some of us have been really motivated by the idea of the community we've built here. Absolutely climate, but that kind of goes without saying. But for me, the collaboration, being able to work with this group where someone can just say, I need something. And you have 20 people volunteering immediately without asking questions, without putting anything onto it. They'll just say, here, I'm here for you. And then they're there for you. You know, it's going to get done. So for me, that's amazing because I've never worked with people before that there hasn't been some kind of ulterior motive, like financially or they want recognition or I mean we aren't even putting our, our, our names on it but f for example individual articles I've written my name's not on it and and Christy's written so many things that you know her name's not specifically on it but we still do it anyways because we want to be a part of this bigger picture so the collaboration has just it's made my heart sing it just makes me so happy the other one is compassion 2000 people are all coming together for one purpose, which is that we believe, you know, this planet deserves saving and being able to work with everybody on this. Just it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing We're we're all on the same page as far as our love for the planet. And, and uh, it's amazing. <laughs> Every day that I come and log in, I'm just blown away by people's compassion. Compassion is a good C. That's a good one. I love what you just said about the compassion. I really do. And I agree about the collaboration too. That's been so, so exciting. And obviously climate, as I described earlier, has really influenced me and become such a passion. Uh, I think one other cool thing to call out about the collaboration that has been really interesting is this idea that if you are interested in helping with something, you don't need experience in it to be able to take it on. And there is never a hesitation in any corner of this project. So Jennifer, I know whenever you have something within the podcast world, you are continuously saying, does anyone want to help? By the way, you don't need any experience in podcasting to take this on. And that's been in so many areas. And the other day on a call, Seth said something about every page of this almanac was terrible until it wasn't. So basically, it's this idea that even if you don't have experience in something, you can take it on. You've got this whole community around you to help you. So whatever you do produce is only going to get better as everybody chips in and helps to build on whatever you've created. Create. That's another C. And I think that this project is very unique in that way, too. I said the other day, I don't really feel like I'm the one to do this. I feel insecure about it or something along those lines. And two people DM'd me and they were like, you start it. We'll edit it. We'll get you there. You got this. We're on your team. We're here for you. And I think that's been a very beautiful experience. That's beautiful. I've had a chance to think about it, reflect. 
The first one that came to my mind, um, it's similar to collaboration is contribution. And I think that those that have risen in, in positions of influence to kind of oversee and coordinate things, um, are those that are, are contributing. And, and I know what's interesting, um, kind of doing a little throwback outside of the Children's Almanac to when I was surveying the land of opportunities, like, oh, do I want to do graphics? And I was like, yeah, no. I mean, not, not graphics, but like graphs and charts and things like that. It's like, you know what? Those people can just nerd out on that all day long. That's fine. I do enjoy a good graph, but like that's the next level that I just don't want to go to. Um, but like when I kind of settled into infographics, Jennifer, maybe this is your experience, maybe not. Yeah, I kind of felt like it was a game of hungry, hungry hippos. <laughs> and I would just go through the whole list of infographics that you like, oh, Jennifer's like, infographics needed. Like, ooh, I'd like to do that. Like, oh, I click on it. Yep, Boone's got that one. Oh, Boone's got that one. Oh, Boone's got that one. Like, okay, here's one. Please, can I put my my name on this one? And then I take so long because I'm so uh, like overwhelmed with like wanting it, my one contribution to be so perfect that I just missed the deadline and somebody else took it over <laughs> and I didn't get to deliver it. But I I finally got my name on a couple of them, which was great. You know, and I was like, oh, wonderful. But out of that, the notion of contribution for me, and I think you all would agree, has shifted where I think we put so much weight on ourselves as a contributor um, that, that it, the contribution includes delivery of something. But I felt just as much of a contributor in someone else's work because I was willing to voice my opinion on the matter or like, this is reading to me this way. Maybe if you make this suggested change or that suggested change. And what emerged was something that's fantastic. I know um, in a previous podcast, Jennifer, you mentioned that what, what can we do with was one kilogram of carbon by us? Like, because when you read the thread, you recognize that there's 200 comments that are seeing the evolution of this graphic piece come into maturity because people are willing to contribute their perspective on it, even though one person is ultimately getting the credit. I feel just as much a part of that result as the person who's clearly identified with it because of the contributions I made that you see evidenced in its execution. And only I know that and only people that were part of the conversation know that. And I think that's enough. So that's one. And then it's right along with that is this notion of celebration. You know, when they do these recognitions and like you get a shout out and people are, are glowing with genuine praise for one another and genuine accolades. That notion of celebration is is definitely oh another one contagious, and so I like that. Um, the last thing I would say is also capacity. That the nature of how this project works is it naturally uh, level sets to whatever capacity you can contribute. So if I can give a lot, there's capacity within the space for me to do so. And if I can only give a little, then there's also capacity for that. So that way, I don't feel as though I'm shortchanged or I'm shortchanging the process itself. This whole process has been so eye-opening, really, in terms of personal growth, in terms of what we've learned about each other and the climate crisis. Catherine, I'm wondering if it's changed you in any ways. How I talk about climate change now, I'm, I'm far more comfortable sharing the facts that these things that I know are true now, that scientists have pretty much proven Whereas before, my arguments were always peppered with opinion and quite strong opinions of how I think things should be and what people should do. 
And I think people are, are listening to me more now because I'm not just trying to push my opinion on them about, you know, you need to stop driving your car because it's emitting all these greenhouse gases. This is now I can tell them this is what happens when, you know, these greenhouse gases go into the air. And this is why uh, we're in this mess we're in because, you know, all of these things, these proven things are happening in, in our planet and, and people are listening more. I think there have been a few big moments for me, and this has primarily been in terms of the climate knowledge and passion. So one of them was when someone suggested that we add a section to the kids content to the kids ebook around kids holding their breath. And they suggested they were swimming, came up with this idea and thought it would be a great comparison to how the earth is feeling. And to be completely honest, I didn't really understand the analogy right away, especially being a climate newbie. But I went away and did some research and I learned that when we, and hopefully I'm not getting into too much detail here, but when we hold our breath, carbon dioxide builds up and it's uncomfortable for us and it's unhealthy for us. And that's why we have this impulse to breathe. So when we pop back above the water, our mouths open even before we think about it because we were designed to get that air. Similarly, in the planet, carbon dioxide's building up, it's uncomfortable, it's struggling, it's unhealthy for the planet. So I did the research, wrote the article, kind of set it aside, thought it was a cool analogy, but didn't really think of it further until a few weeks later when I took my five-year-old to swim class. And I saw them learning how to hold their breath and go underwater. And I saw what a struggle it was for all of them. To be completely honest, it was uncomfortable to watch. There were kids that were scared to try it. There were many kids that were popping up above the water and coughing because they'd taken in water. It just was such a struggle. And in that moment, I felt such empathy for our planet. And I started looking at this whole thing in a completely different light. And I imagine if any of the other parents looked my way in that moment, they were probably <laughs> thinking, what's with the sad mom wall? Because it was such a somber moment. But it was something that really fueled this new passion for me around this, this new urgency around it. Mm -hmm. And it, it really did change the way that I'm looking at things. Bruce, do you have it's anything beautiful. to add to that? Those are, those are beautiful sentiments and uh, really appreciate that all of this, like sometimes esoteric knowledge, like, oh, climate is like way out there. It's overly complex. No one of us can really understand any one thing of it. And just to create climate models, uh, you need supercomputing power just to, to identify even all the variables, let alone my human brain. But I think it's those visceral biographical experiences that we have that, that brings that truth into our hearts that really does the activation to like make us that much more aware and our eyes are open and we're like, okay, wait a second. Stewardship of this planet isn't just a nice idea. It's, it's an absolute you know, intrinsic part of us being humans. For me, I feel emboldened knowing that um, I've made it a, a legitimate contribution to something that I can then reference. And so Christmas is going to be easy for me this year. Like everybody's getting the copy uh, of this book. Yeah, and I'm going to talk to all of my educator friends. I've got a, a friend that does 4-H club coordination and STEM uh, curriculum stuff. And so I was like, hey, you know, this, see how this can be integrated 
so that we can start that, that empowering journey. So from that standpoint, I'm excited knowing that there's more agency for me as an individual than I would have given myself credit to have before. But as far as like my, my mind made up about this being a big deal, it's always been there, but I think maybe you can relate to this. There's, there's a sense sometimes of just uh, depression, just kind of like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm doing my part, but man, it just seems like everybody has got their pedal to the floor of the car going in the wrong direction. And you're like, all right, I'll just keep on doing my thing. Um, but knowing that this has the potential to galvanize a community towards truly implementing change by degrees, um, that's encouraging. I have that feeling often and I have for years. And that is what brought me to Seth in the first place. I came into my family business. I joined a business. It was selling stuff, physical products, which I was living as a minimalist. This was completely against how I feel. I found Seth and joined the marketing seminar and was trying to figure out how to change consumer perspectives. Mm -hmm. It was that trying to change the mindset of the consumer. And it took me a really long time to realize that it's more advantageous to try to change the mind of the manufacturers. And that's kind of how I see parallels here with what we're doing, like the climate crisis and the systematic change and, and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm just wondering if any of you have any thoughts on what you're going to do after this project is ending. I hope it never ends, but when we all wrap here, is there anything that you're going to take forward? I just want to know what the future looks like for you in terms of mobilization. Well, for me, long story short, I was a farmer and I lost my farm. So in the past year, I've been trying to figure out what to do with myself, which is why the Almanac Network have yeah. was like a saving grace for me because it's been just confidence building to the millionth degree for me. And so, yes, it's another C. <laughs> what I had been doing for the past year is copywriting, freelance copywriting. But now I want to specifically gear my business towards small eco-businesses, helping people who, you know, are so passionate about what they do and creating their product or service, but they don't know how to tell their own story. And so I want to take what I've learned in the Almanac, all the different pieces, like now I'm learning how to work in podcasting and how to do social media more effectively. And so I want to take that and help other small businesses so that, you know, people can really start voting with their dollars and, and really start making their money say, say something good. Christy, I know that you're really interested in impact business. What are you going to do next? You know, I'm not sure yet. I know that I will carry what I've learned with me along with this newfound passion around all of this, but I'm not sure exactly what that means yet. <laughs> I think, you know, you're right on where, where do we need to target our efforts that are going to be most effective? And I think as a project, essentially what we've done is simply create a tool, right? So it's sort of like, if I imagine myself, I'm an architectural lighting designer, but also, you know, love working with tools. And so I'm like, man, if I spend all this time crowdsourcing the funding for a hammer, and then what do I do with a hammer? I just set it on the shelf and I just admire that hammer. Like, man, that's a fantastic hammer. I mean, I love everybody working together to source the, the wood and the metal. 
But if I never use the hammer, then it's just a trophy that I, I use to build myself up in my own ego or whatever about building a hammer. But if I craft something um, out of the use of that hammer, I think that that's where the reality of what purpose that thing serves can really be realized. And uh, for me, I know that I'm kind of exhausted on some levels. There's a certain amount of the carbon almanac fatigue. But I'm really interested to see where the real work begins. Okay, now that you have this tool in your hand, what are the things that you can do with it? And for me, as I realize my level of engagement within this creative process, there's things that I think that I'm pretty good at, but the community reflecting back your contributions either fortifies the things that you should continue to really push into or say, well, maybe I'm not so good at, as I, in that thing as I thought I was. Like, man, I thought I was a good graphic designer until I got around people that like, holy cow, they do graphic design you know, or illustrators or podcasters or writers or whatever it is. And I know I have a level of creativity and I think messaging is important as we move forward. How do we package uh, this tool in a way that can be implementable? And so for me, my action steps will probably be just to continue to tune into this network and watch how the people that, that have the energy and the drive to carry this message forward, like yourself, Jennifer, and having the drip cycle of, hey, let's keep talking about this in the podcast and, and get it out there into all those different podcast platforms keeps that thing moving and growing and going. And then I'll be, I'll be within my own local sphere and whatever potential conversations I have with individuals, I now have a, a more activated point of reference that can be used to make decisions. Yeah, we have a lot of work to do. It really begins once that thing, or well, even now, I mean, it's, it, it all really begins once that thing is in, in our hands and, and uh, you know, use that hammer. Don't beat people over the heads. Just craft something beautiful and draw people into that space. I do want to give you a shout out, Bruce, for your creativity and contributions. It's been really fun and helpful when there's a call out for some kind of creative idea and you always pop in with something just ultra creative, <laughs> which has been again, just really fun and, and helpful. Yeah. So thank you. I would love to give a shout out to just about every single person I've worked with because everyone just steps up so amazingly. I, I never have to worry about, we have this thing that needs doing, will it get done? It, of course, always gets done. And everybody always happy, happy. Every, every meeting I've ever been to, people are happy, whether they're, you know, staying up till two in the morning to be able to attend or getting up at six or or it's the middle of their busy day, people are there and they're happy to be there and they're cheerful. It's just so nice. I wish every workplace could be like the Almanac is. <laughs> this episode was brought to you by the letter C. You've been listening to the Carbon Almanac Collective. This podcast is part of the Carbon Almanac Podcast Network. For more information, to join the movement, and to order your copy of The Carbon Almanac, go to thecarbonalmanac.org. Subscribe and join us next time to get more insights from regular people mobilizing to help the world fight the climate emergency.